It would not do if the sound guy forgot to turn his mic on. <laughs> I almost did. Thank you, Alan. That was very kind. I'm kind of old school, so I'm going to use this instead of my little iPad. So as Alan said, I'm not the normal guy uh, preaching. I'm not as experienced as Alan is. And so if you're new, I'm Lawrence, or if you're visiting, um, and you don't like what you hear today, then please come back next week, <laughs> and it'll be much better. If you do like what you hear today, please come back next week, because it'll be better. They sound very hot. I don't know if that's just me, though. Um, all right. So thank you. I'd like to stand for the reading of God's word. We're reading from Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, and this is in the New International Version. If you have a Bible app and you can kind of change back and forth. So it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to have their, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you. You can be seated. Okay, turn over to chapter 6. No, kidding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, no softballs for the, uh, for the relief pre preacher. Um, <laughs> so it's funny, uh, I have a long history at Grace um, getting <laughs> taught myself when I teach or preach. So if I'm teaching Sunday school on uh, personal finance, for instance, you can be sure that during that Sunday school course, my personal finances are going to be uh, challenged somehow. And so when my wife and I were discussing teaching on Ephesians 5, she was like, oh no. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then I was preparing the sermon, I realized like, oh no, this is <laughs> for me. Uh, <laughs> but there is some, uh, as Alan said, it's, it's, a, it's a hard passage and there's some interesting stuff here. So let's... Uh, Rather than skipping through it or kind of hand-waving our way through it and picking out the fun parts and moving on, let's just dive in. Start off with, why submit at all? Aren't we equal under Christ? In fact, Galatians, just written just a few years earlier by the same guy, says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So... What's up with that? How are we all one? And yet there's still some talk about submission. So I want to give some background. And when people give background, often they will say, well, 
you know, really you have to understand Paul's preaching to the, you know, this is kind of the way things were then, and, and there is some of that, but that's not the kind of background I'm giving. I just want to give, um, I'm not going to hand, hand wave my way through that. I want to just give some context for the world as it was. So, at the time of this writing, wives were in pretty much utter submission to their husbands. They had very few rights outside of the marriage. Um, a husband could divorce his wife with a piece of paper uh, and paying some money. Uh, beyond that, husbands had you know, absolute authority. There was actually a, and you know, be careful here, but there's a blessing, the, the morning blessings in the Talmud, where a man would wake up in the morning and go through these 15 prayers, and one of them was, well, some of them were, you know, blessed are you, God, who did not make me a Gentile, who did not make me a slave, who did not make me a woman. And I want to be really clear. I'm not in any way disparaging the Jewish faith. It is the cornerstone of Christianity. But I do want to make it clear. Oh, and, you know, by the way, there's the uh, sort of background for that. If, I feel like it's worth it just a minute. The background for that is not that women are worthless, and thank God I'm not a worthless woman, but women had so much to do. They were so busy that they had no time to study the word. They had no time to, to pray to God. They were so caught up in running the house, running the kids, um, and just basically maintaining the world that the husband actually is the one who had time to, to pray and to spend time with God. So anyway, the, the point is not that women were worthless, but they definitely had a second-class status. They had very few rights, and they had lots and lots to do. So I guess what I'm saying is, in this community, in this culture at the time, there is no need for Paul to be saying, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. This is a given. This is the way things were in that time. So he's not actually saying something new. What instead he is doing, I believe, is actually establishing a new, a new relationship. He's not reinforcing this code saying, here's what you need to be doing. You need to submit to your wives. What he's doing is actually rewriting the code. So if you look at this, I don't want to get too exegetical, if that's the word. But I think it's important to talk about how this, uh, the, um, how this is structured in Ephesians. So we read in verse 22, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Or submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. We all know that when Paul sat down to write Ephesians, he didn't start, okay, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ. He, he, he didn't do it that way. He wrote a letter. It's, you know, the way you and I would write a very long email. He just wrote it. Later, people came along and they actually chopped it up into chapters and said, okay, here's a big chunk. It talks about this. Here's a chunk that talks about obedience. Here's a chunk that talks about love. And then it broke down into verses within that chapter. The underpinning of everything we're talking about today, this entire thing we read is chapter, is verse 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In fact, in, in verse 22, where we read, for those of you who were sort of paying attention, um, you saw brackets around submit yourselves in verse 22, so we put it up in red. In verse 22, submit yourselves doesn't actually appear. Because verse 22 really is, just follows on verse 21. So th that is, the translators inserted this because they thought, I presume, 
If you start at chapter at verse 22, you don't know what he's talking about. So we're going to insert this word, the submit yourselves, so that it makes sense. That is, the way this actually reads is, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands as you do to the Lord. So he's dropped these, there is no submit yourselves appearing a second time. And you think, well, why does that matter? It's kind of subtle, but it does. What Paul is talking about is, in verse 22, he's not saying, I believe, well, because he didn't write it. <laughs> so he is not saying, wives, you need to submit yourself to your husbands. What he's doing is describing how that submission, which already exists, works. It is not a, here we are, wives, I want you to submit to your husbands. It's, as you're submitting, it needs to be this way. How it should be is as to the Lord. So how is it to the Lord? So at this time, this is about 60 AD, uh, 62 AD maybe, about 20, 25, year, 25, 30 years after the death of Christ. Being a Christian is kind of a new thing. It's also kind of a dangerous thing. It is just before Nero started his uh, persecution, sort of um, astonishing persecution of the Christians. Um, people have... We have people in this church who have grown up in Christian families for decades, for not decades, for generations, where their grandfathers were preachers or whatever. That is not, no one has been a Christian for decades or for generations at this point. If you are a Christian, first of all, you may be uh, persecuted, although, as I said, the major persecutions had just about to, were just about to start, but it certainly required you to turn your back on pretty much everything, your culture, your religion, like your family, your friends, your relatives. Being a Christian was a choice that people made, and submitting to Christ was something they did willingly, lovingly, and in full knowledge of what they were doing because of Christ's love for them. And so Paul is actually saying here, when he says, submit to one another, wives to your husbands as to Christ, he's actually talking about how wives should regard their husbands, not what they should do or how they should do it but how they should view that relationship. So, sorry, I'm old school. But that being said, I don't want to sort of hand my, wave my way through this and say, well, he's not really talking about submission, because he is. There's a passage in the next passage that talks about headship of Christ. Um, there's a whole long thing I can do about that, but I'm going to skip over that and go right into sort of the meat of it, which is the next verse, which is, I think, two slides from now. No, no, go back, sorry. Um. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thank you. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands and everything. So it does say that. So I'm not here to say, no, 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 that doesn't, Bible doesn't say that. Why? We know that there is no man and woman in Christ. We're all equal under Christ. Why is this piece about submission? Well, again, first of all, that is the culture that they live in. This is not a new thing. Paul is not setting a new rule for how women should behave. It is more informing of how women, uh, of not how women, how the marriage relationship is supposed to work. So why is there submission at all in marriage? And the answer to that is because marriage is not a limited partnership. As some of you know, uh, I own a small business. I've owned a small business for about 20 years. And when I started that business, I took on a minority partner. And this person had no business experience, did not, had never run a profit and loss center, but he had some skills that I needed um, and that I wanted and that I valued. 
And he was more interested in learning to be a business person than in actually just doing a job, and so he asked to be a partner. So we did that. And though I was the majority partner, I thought about it. And when I set up the Articles of Incorporation, in my wisdom, I thought, it's not fair. We're in this together. I may have more of the company than he does, but we should be equal partners in terms of running the company, because I don't want to be in a position of saying, we're going to do things my way, because I have more of the company, I'm the senior partner, and that's just it, and you're just along for the ride. He's sacrificing a lot. He's risking a lot. We're in this together. We should run this together. And the interesting thing is, all of my friends, especially the ones who ran businesses, kept saying, you can't do that. Someone has to actually run the company. And I would say, no, no, no. This is the way this works. It's great. Whenever we have to make a decision, we get together, we talk about it. I have blind spots, he reveals them to me. He has blind spots, I reveal them to him. We talk, we confer, we collaborate, and we reach consensus, and then we move forward. Every decision is made together. And I'm very confident in those decisions because we made them together. And that's the way we set it up. And that worked really well for about 10 years. Until we stopped agreeing on everything. Until all of a sudden, we found that there were things that we just fundamentally could not come to terms on. So, one of us would want to hire someone and the other would not. One of us would want to fire someone and the other would not. One of us would want to start a marketing campaign, the other would not. One would want to move the business someplace, one would want to move the business someplace else. And what happened in those cases is we didn't do any of it because we could not move forward. We could not make a decision together. And so we did not hire this person. We did not fire that person. We did not move the company. We did not start a marketing campaign. We did not do all these things. And the company ground to a halt. It was unable to continue together under an equal partnership because no one could actually just make a decision and move the company forward. And so we divorced because there was nothing else to do. We had to move. If the company was to continue, we could not both be in it together. And so we're not anymore. Marriage is not supposed to be like that. Marriage is not a limited partnership. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, out of Genesis. And Jesus replied, and this is in Matthew, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Marriage in Christianity is to be a permanent relationship. And as a permanent relationship, there needs to be some sort of a constitution, some sort of a way forward, even when there's disagreement. That is, there needs to be a casting vote. Someone needs to be able to make a decision when there is a disagreement. So how does this work? So again, back to chapter or verse 21, which I will maintain and I will continue to say through this entire sermon. This Verse 21 is the foundation of the entire rest of the chapter. None of it makes sense if you don't look at verse 21. Again, verse 22 even just referred to verse 21, and they had to like stick words in to kind of make the translator stuck words in to make it so that you could stand by itself. But it's not supposed to. The first and most important thing about marriage is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. However, even in all of that, if there's a disagreement, there must be a way forward. If there is not a way forward, then the arrangement has to end. It's not supposed to be that way. But because of that, someone has to be able to make a decision if necessary. And I want to point out, that casting vote may never be used. 
in an entire marriage, you may never reach a situation where the husband makes this decision against the wife. By the way, men, there is nothing you have done to earn that casting vote. <laughs> I want to be really clear. Um, this is the headship thing I didn't really talk about. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, that's, not, that's the thing on you. Um, but there is a way forward. When I started this sermon, I was actually, at the last minute, was going to totally freak out the media people and switch the order of these and talk about the back part of the sermon first, but I decided not to do that. Um, but in some ways, it makes much more sense to do that. So I want to put pause here, and I want to talk about the husband's role in the marriage. And then we'll come back and finish this. So I knew a guy, good Christian man, doesn't go here, by the way, just, you know, um, they always say that. I don't get a good story, bad story. You have to say that, otherwise everyone's kind of looking around. And he told me a story once. He was very excited. And I think it's illustrative of how things can go off the rails. But what he talked about was this amazing thing that happened between him and his wife. And he and his wife had this alternating vacation thing where they would go visit his parents on a holiday, then they'd go visit her parents. This was before kids, so they were building, you know, they were spending time with the parents, his parents and her parents and his parents and her parents. It was a set rotation. And she came to him once and said, honey, I know we just went to my parents, but I really want to talk to my mother about this thing that's going on with us. Not us, but in our lives. I really want to go see my parents again. Could we swap and maybe go twice to your parents or or however you want to do this, but I really feel it's imperative to see my parents. Important to see my parents. And he thought about it. Good man. And he said, well, you know, they're expecting us, and, you know, we went to your parents last time, and, you know, your father, and, you know, no, I really want to go to see my parents. Let's keep up to the, keep the plan. And she said, okay. And she came back the next day, and she said, you know, I've been thinking about this, and it's really important to me. Could you maybe reconsider? And he did. And he came back and said, no, you know, I really want to do it this way. She came a third time and said, honey, I just, I don't see any way around. I need to talk to my mother. And at that point, he was angry. And he said, we've had this conversation. I've made my decision. And that's it. And she, being the dutiful, dutiful submissive wife, said, OK. And that night, good Christian man, and, and he is, went to pray. And God spoke to him. And he heard God saying, you need to go spend time with your wife's parents. And he said, okay, I'm sorry. So he got up, walked out of the room, and his wife was coming the other direction. And he said, honey, I just heard from God. We're supposed to go to your parents. She burst into tears because she, had, she said, I've just been praying that God would change your mind. And he did. And his, his comment to me was, this is how a Christian marriage should work. The husband makes a decision and the wife's recourse is to pray to God, and God can then work on the husband. That's how this should work. I'm going to come back to the story in a minute. So, depending on that. What is, this is the interactive part of the sermon, what is the duty of the husband in this relationship? We just, we just read it. I heard Jake say, die. So if we go to the next slide. Well, love your wife, <laughs> but how? 
You know, so Jake jumped ahead, good for you. <laughs> no, so first of all, who is the church? Who is the church? We are the church, right. He didn't die for the church in Corinth or anything. He died for all of us, the body of Christ. And how much did Christ love the church? Jake, he died. He died for the church. So, men, you have to be ready to die for your wives. Okay, I think <clears throat> that most men, certainly early on in marriage, if not all the way through, hopefully all the way through, not many men would say, you know, mugger shows up in the street, I'm going to duck behind my wife because... <laughs> Not usually the case. Most of us would say, push comes to shove, I would die for my wife. That is my response, you know, that's how much I love my wife, I would die for her. Okay. What does it mean to die as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her? How did Christ die for the church? So let's read something from Philippians. You don't have to turn there, but you can. It's 2, 5 through 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about Jesus on earth for a minute. We all know that he died on a cross. What happened up to that point? Well, there was the ministry, three years of ministry. What happened up to that point? He lived. He was born. He passed through a birth canal, naked, he had to learn to walk, he had to learn to feed himself, he had to learn to clean himself, relieve himself, he had to pick up tools and learn a craft, he had to shape wood that, by the way, he spoke into existence, into things that were useful to other people, and then give them to people in exchange for coins, which he could then use to buy food so that he would feed his body, so that its body did not die, God, Jesus was in heaven. He's the Lord of the universe who spoke it into existence. And he brought himself here. And not only did he preach for us and teach us for three years, but he spent 30 years prior to that humbling himself, being a human when he didn't have to be. He did not need a vacation from heaven. He did not, want to, he did not need to experience what it was like to be human. He did not need to go like press flat. He wanted to be with us, and he was willing to submit himself to his humiliation, to humble himself all along for 30 years before his actual death on the cross. And so when we think about what it means to love your wife and die for your wife, we're not talking about dying at that absolute moment of, okay, well, here's the moment. We're on the boat, there's only room in the life raft for one person, you can have it, honey. We're talking about dying to your wife every day, putting herself first, putting her needs above her own, considering herself as more important in everything. 
And if you are the head of the family, this is the, the definition of servant leadership. So back to the story. When this man told me this story about this is how a Christian marriage should work, the answer was, no, it's not. I, I can respect that your wife submitted, and I can certainly respect that God spoke to you, but you missed it from the beginning, which is that your wife came to you with a sincere need, and the decision you made wasn't because I prayed to God and I feel that this is best for the family or God's teaching me. It, the decision he made was because he didn't want to go, and it was his, his turn. He's just putting himself first, and that is not what this is about in terms of submitting to your husbands and the husband making decisions. This is not talking about the husband gets to do what he wants to do. What this is talking about is the very specific case where a tie needs to be broken or where a disagreement needs to be solved. But the husband is supposed to be continually putting the wife first in everything. And so it should be, as I said earlier that you know, this casting vote may never be used, it shouldn't be surprising if it is never used because the husband's default reaction should be to serve the wife and to put herself first. So is this the same thing as just saying the wife's in charge? Well, no, it's not. Because scripture is clear, that the husband is a spiritual head of the family. And he is responsible for the decisions that get made. He is not telling him to make them by himself. He is also accountable for the decisions that get made and how they are made. That is, <clears throat> God has given you a helpmate. In my case, I think God went to quite a lot of effort to give me the helpmate he wanted. He's likely done that for all of you. You disregard her counsel at your peril. And I mean at your peril. You will answer for that. She's there because, as with my partner, she sees things that you do not. And she is there to help you make the right decision. And if you are just ignoring her counsel, you are, in, you are quite likely making the wrong one. So if there is an impasse and you are both praying and you are coming up to with a different answer, my first suggestion is go talk to someone else. Talk to the leaders of the church. Talk to your Christian friends. Try and work that through. But ultimately, if there is an impasse, the family needs to move forward, and the husband has the responsibility and the accountability for making that decision, but he will answer for it. He will answer for how that was done. So make sure it's a godly decision and not a selfish one. And so summing all of this up, you know, we get to the end of the part about wives submitting to your husbands, and you're like, wow, wives have to submit to their husbands. And, and I'm not here to say that's not the case. It is. But it's really important to understand the context in which Paul was talking. First of all, that was the environment. He was not instituting a new command. He was explaining that in this way in which you are submitting to your husband, do it as you submit to Christ, that is willingly, freely, lovingly, to the one who loves you. And he was saying to men, 
he was explaining to Ben what it meant to lead rather than, oh, and by the way, you get to do everything. He was saying submit to one another. So yeah, there's some hard things in here. It's kind of difficult to get through and realize, wow, it really does say that. But I do think it's important to understand the context in which it's being said and what he's really saying. And back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's on the last slide. That is what this whole chapter, or this whole passage of chapter is about. Everything in this verse ties back both conceptually and actually linguistically to this one verse. And if you are not submitting to one another, if you are not putting each other first, then marriage is going to be a very difficult time. And what Paul is doing is actually just giving you some guidelines for how to put that into practice. So that's what I have today. <laughs> As I said, um, come back next week and you'll get a better sermon from much more practice. But thanks for your time and have a blessed day. Sorry, I forgot to call you up. <laughs>